Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation, where we continue our conversation with Gil Chavez, a seasoned specialist in global marketing and communications. With a career spanning over three decades, Gil has honed his expertise in marketing, particularly in the Asian region. In addition to his vast experience, he is also a top-rated professor, having taught over 100 courses in a 24-year teaching career. In this episode, we continue to dive into some of the cultural differences between the West and the East. We explore various negotiating tips for Japan and how the process is different there than it would be in the U.S. and Canada including the ceremonial aspects of negotiation and effective communication. We conclude our conversation with Gil by discussing famous business leaders and how they are perceived in Japan today. Enjoy. A lot of people, when they become executives, they're good at managing, which is deadlines, projects. And they may have learned a certain ruthlessness. And also, a lot of them have a strong engineering background, which is plug in the formula and drive it for all it's worth. But as you move up the food chain, you find that a lot of times, as well, as Andy Grove said, is develop people that can replace you. A lot of executives, simply speaking, lack self-awareness. And it's probably the most difficult thing to do. I thought I had great self-awareness. But of course, everybody who's in a position as a boss thinks that they have great self-awareness. And then you look back and you're like, I just crushed that person. And I had no idea that I did it. Or I just scared that person and I had no idea that I did it. Because you have power, you're viewed for what I call the prism of power. Everything is extreme. If you smile, that makes everybody's day. If, if you frown, that makes everybody afraid. And so you've got to kind of learn how to deal with people and manage people in a human way. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. What would be where you might draw the line or see a difference between West and East or Japan and US, however people want to shake that out, between being humble, which I think is a somewhat appreciated attribute or trait, especially in Japan, versus being self-deprecating, which honestly might be a bit of a Canadian trait. I'm going to tell you that the home of the humble brag is Japan. <laughs> I'm so I love blessed and honored and grateful to be have been awarded best person on planet Earth. I just right. like it. Yeah. This thing about humility and stuff, I you know, um, I, I, I'm skeptical about it in a lot of ways. Um, there's being humble, and then there, then there's um, modest and, and things. Or yeah. being modest. Um, I really find that 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 egos for executives are are present nearly everywhere. 
except a few. And the way you, you, you know, the way you you, you can uh, really see if they're sincere is not how they talk to to you as a professor or as a media trainer, but how they talk to support staff, the person that greets uh, the poor person at the reception, uh, how they order another glass of water. Um, and so I have found that um, if I could wish something is that I would like to see more executives who are genuinely humble and uh, because I think they make better leaders because they know what it's like to be uh, powerless. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more arrogant and the more uh, commanding they are about ordering people around, um, and I think it's just bad mojo, but too often that's who we get. Um, so I, but basically, I, 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 if I'm coaching somebody, I want them to be them. But there may be times when I want them to be a little bit less certain parts of them, and that's that arrogance, humility thing. I'm gonna move on and call you out for being the Dale Carnegie of Japan. I'm kidding, but. One of the courses, one of the courses you've taught has been around negotiation and building relationships, how to win friends and influence people in Japan. Just kidding. That is something that we actually have spent um, quite a bit of time covering on the podcast, but we've primarily been focusing those conversations on China. Do you have some tips that you're willing to share on conducting negotiations and negotiations in Japan with Japanese counterparts and I'm going to follow that up with asking if they're vastly different from that in the USA or in Canada or the West. What are some of the best practices you can share? So, again, tips on conducting negotiations in Japan with Japanese counterparts. And then how how is that whole experience different uh, over there? This is probably where some of my friends will get angry. The thing is, I I really, having looked at very strong academic negotiations courses, game theory and things like that, I just, uh, it doesn't work in Japan. What works in Japan is relationships and taking the time to build the relationship. Um, and if you don't have the relationship, it's going to be, a long, frustrating haul. Um, so um, I find that, yes, I, I, um, I think the mistake is to try to negotiate with Japanese like you're Japanese. You're not Japanese. And in fact, that you should play that card often. Um, but at the same time, you should understand where they're coming from. They often... The person you're often talking to is not the decision maker. And so you're going to go through a series of rounds. And in the end, you may not even know who was the decision maker. And often it's a panel of four or five who made that decision. Um, so understand that. And I, I, so I tell them, build the relationship however you can, even if it's you know the first time you meet them. I always say, smile, make eye contact, and ask them how they are. I mean, just, I'm going to be their friend. 
Now, if they don't want to be my friend, that's cool. You know, life goes on. But I, I really feel like when I walk out the door in Tokyo, the, 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 you can get so much more by just smile, eye contact and smile. That's it. And people will talk to you. They'll speak to you in Japanese. They'll speak to you in English. They'll speak to you in German, Spanish, whatever they think you, you're doing here. That's great. And the same thing works in a boardroom. Just be happy to be there. Just be happy to talk to them. And it really changes the atmosphere of the room. And if you can say something that's slightly funny, self-deprecating, that changes it too. It relaxes everybody. But recognize that time is relative. And you got deadlines. They got deadlines. But you know what? You don't know when it's going to end. And so I think just set that aside. You can keep track of the time. But. People have just a different clock here. Um, and so be friendly, build a relationship, and then recognize that time, as soon as you start worrying about a deadline, they got you. Because they will be, they can go slower than anybody else. They will just drag you down. So relax. Have fun. Just be happy to be there. And I think it works. Personally, yeah. And if they ask you to give you an, uh, an uh, other thing is if they ask you to, to give a number or quote a number, try to get them to give you the number because they've already got a number in their head. And if you come in too high, way too high, they'll think that you're being sneaky and trying to get something for free. If you come in too low, they'll wonder what the problem is with you or something like that. So I, I prefer to let you know, and I've, I've actually heard finance guys from the West talking about it, reverse negotiations. Let them tell me tell me what they, the number they want, and then they argue about maybe knocking a little bit off. Sounds crazy, I know, but we're interested in a relationship. If we're buying a used car, okay, forget it. But if we're, we're trying to do business, Tokyo's arguably one, the largest or one of the largest cities in the world, and it's a small world that you're moving in. You really is small, so you got to you got to be a good citizen in your little village. Are there ceremonial aspects to the art of negotiation and 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 even communication in Japan? Like, and and I ask this knowing how things often went in China, where you know food, round table, by Joe, cigarettes. Drinking, laughing, getting drunk, all kinds of things. And, you know, if you're the lower of the two, then you wait and you be friendly and you open up and you be yourself and you wait to be invited to discuss the thing that everybody and the big elephant in the room, you you wait. They will open the door if and when you're ready and you deserve it. Because everybody knows what's going on here. You don't need to bring it up. It doesn't need to be, you know, plastered on the wall. And when the time is right and when they're ready, they will invite you to that conversation and then you may walk in. Um, that's pretty similar to formal negotiations that I would say, you know, o over dinner, the discussion. Um, that's why I say don't be don't be in a hurry. Um, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, and and. I've gone into a discussion where I just walked in and said this, and 
the, the, the person said, not so fast. Mm. <laughs> and he went to talk about everything else. And I realized that I'd been really, really rude. I don't care who you are or whatever. And so now it's like, I act like it's the last thing I, I got. I got all the time in the world. I got all the time in the world. And, and you just got to be happy to be there. And that works. And so, yeah, I, I think that there is a lot of that formal stuff. And people call it kabuki. It has no meaning. It's just a waste of time. You know, mellow out. Yeah. You're in Japan. Have a good time. It's And I find that it might be somewhat disrespectful. Okay, so you don't care about me. You don't want to get to know me. You're going to show me no respect. You're going to come with some number or something. I like. And and versus the opposite of, man, like, this has been awesome. I could talk to you all day. But you know what? I'm looking at the time. And if we are going to talk a little bit of business, we probably should get to it. Because otherwise, we're going to be here all day and all night just chatting about this, that, and the other. So, and maybe then is the only time to really, that's how you eventually get there. And it's not something that you wanted to do, but it's something you probably... We should probably do this. But, but, but the cool thing is, I, if you get good at it, you don't even have to do that. When there's a lull. You segue. When there's, no. It's not even a segue. It's like when there's a lull in the conversation, you might go. <sighs> oh, or you might say, you know, excuse me, but Toto, you're, you haven't said anything except a little, you know. Little or, sound, yeah, little, little sound. Little, Touch your watch. Look something. at the the watch on the you know, clock on the wall. Anything that gives an indication, and they'll move it along. If they don't want to talk, then okay, then say okay. I'm sorry, I got to go. Cha cha. But that's that's kind of the fun part. It's just waiting for that moment where you can just kind of ding them. Potentially, part of what you just educated us on might be something that you might bring to the work that you do. And some of your current consulting work, which is developing C-suite talent. I'd like you to ask you to share a little bit about what that looks like from your side. Uh, as in, where did the need for this come from? What does that look like in Japan? How is there demand for this? And what are you doing in bringing to your customers when you execute on that business? Okay, well, first, there's some things that the people need to to be able to do to get to that position. One is deliver an, a presentation well, and I think um, that's really important. And one, and the other is to be able to talk about their job or their company well, which is media training, right? So it's it's not that different one on one, but a lot of people when they become executives they're good at they're good at managing which is deadlines and uh, projects and they may have learned a certain mm, ruthlessness and a certain and also a lot of them have a strong engineering background which is plug in the formula and drive it for all it's worth and that you do need that you know that that's the gearing in 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 the business but as you move up the food chain you, you find that a lot of times you're trying to as well as Andy Grove said is develop people that can replace you and uh, and a lot of executives simply speaking, lack self-awareness. 
And it's probably the most difficult thing to do. I mean, I, I thought I had great self-awareness, but of course, everybody who's in a position as a boss thinks that they have great self-awareness. And then you look back and you're like, I just crushed that person and I had no idea that I did it. Or I just scared that person and I had no idea that I did it. And so, you know, because you have power, you're viewed for what I call the prism of power. Everything is extreme. If you smile, that makes everybody's day. If, if you frown, that makes everybody afraid or whatever. And so you've got to kind of learn how to deal with people and manage people in a human way. And uh, that actually helps them to become better, more productive, uh, more thoughtful. If, 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 if they're afraid, you're not getting a lot of production out of them. And so one of the things about becoming, let's say, moving from, let's say, middle management or young executive to, to senior executive is, is this thing about becoming better about managing yourself and people. And uh, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. Um, and um, so usually what you're finding is you're trying to get people to go from, let's say, the structured engineering approach to more like, and I've seen some real masters at IBM. That's where I was so amazed was people that would walk in, they're on deadline pressure and they know they have a huge video conference coming up with 3,000 people somewhere, some huge stadium somewhere in Latin America. They walk in and they say hello to everybody, talk to them, ask them how they're doing. Just perfect calm, sit down, and without anything, let's cue it up and go. And bang, they hit it. And I thought, that's the kind of person I want to be. And I, I think that that's the kind of person you, you need to develop. Somebody who's caring and not crushing people. Now, oh, well, you know, you got to hit the numbers. But the numbers are actually something that virtually any anybody can think about and anybody can hit. It's, it's a, the, so when I talk, let me, let me just summarize this. So when I talk about developing executives and their talent, I'm also, what that gets the company is not only an executive, but it gets an executive that nurtures the talent below them. So it's a whole ecosystem. It's like, if I can get you to be a better person, a better manager of people, then I can get all these other people that work with you to become better, happier, and develop and job. That's, I think, the, the, the real goal in the end. I can't remember where I heard it, but I've always felt that I, I have this advice that when you move from senior manager to director or some kind of jump like that, as you transition and cross into that, there's something that there's something that you're going to lose and you should get rid of. There's something that you're going to need to learn and to gain. And then there's going to be something that you have that you're going to want to double down on in the next role. Uh, and I've also heard this kind of along the KISS principles of keep, improve, stop and start. And it behooves one to go through that process of a little self-reflection as they move to start to understand and maybe self-identify some of those things, keep what, what got you there, improve the things that you're going to need going forward, stop doing those things because it's not necessary, and start doing these things um, because they will be. Now, do you think that this applies 
broadly, globally, or are there nuances to that and what you were talking about that are specific to Japan? I do think it applies globally, and in fact, that's that's our approach. Is that you know the two professors I'm 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 also working with this on are out of uh, Spain, but they operate globally with clients in the Middle East and Eastern and Western Europe, and uh, some in North America and some in in Asia. So it's it is quite global. Um, one of the one of the things that you want to also appreciate about moving up to that executive level is that a lot of times people are under tremendous pressure. And so this thing about being nice to people or, or not being nice, but being human with them, caring about them becomes more difficult because you've got an enormous amount of work to do and an enormous amount of pressure to deliver. And uh, so from their point of view, they're, they're in the crucible and that you want me to be nice and ask this guy how his dog is or whatever. It, hey, wait a minute. It's like, but the better you are about being human to somebody, the better you are about handling your own emotions and your own pressures. I, I, I think that, that that's part of it. Um, so I, I, I see a lot of managers. I've seen a lot of managers who just turned into uh, tyrants. It's so easy to do. I have seen the same. Right. And and others who have turned into cowards. I've also seen some that blossomed. I'm like, wow, you were good at that role, but you are great in this role. But it's harder to see because they don't often get that opportunity because unless they were great at the last role, they don't think that they can be good at the next. When sometimes maybe the operator is actually better as the manager. Well, actually, I, I think that that is true, that sometimes, and, you know, is, is you promote a great engineer or great process persons into a position where they have to become much more of a person, personable person, and, and it becomes difficult. I, I, I would argue that, that Mr. Gerstner, when he first came to, to IBM, was much more of a – he was strong financial accounting background, extremely bright in that respect. But it's like, how do you get this person to become a leader, to engage people? And, and, and he did it. I, you know, he was funny, uh, brilliant. And, and so I think you can, you can blossom into that, but it takes some work and you've got to be aware that you're go, going to have to do that. But there are people who I think are, as you say, they're better at the higher position than they were at the process position or the, or the, the middle manager position. Let me do a final fun little game here. Let me throw some names at you of famous leaders. Let me know how they're received. And everybody who in the West is listening can guess to how they're, re they're perceived there. But let me like Elon Musk. How is he perceived? In Japan? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people that are, on both sides, I mean, there's he's as controversial. Or the opinions as divided in Japan as it is elsewhere. Zuckerberg. Zuck. Um, <laughs> when the movie The Social Network came out in Japan, that actually is what blew up Facebook in Japan. Until then, nobody was using it. 
Mm. And then here the, all these morning news shows are showing you what Facebook is about. And this is how you use it. And this is a housewife. And she thinks it's really fun. Um, Zuck was considered cool uh, during that, that period. Uh, but I don't see a lot of people talking about him. In fact, when I say Zuck, people don't know who that is. So yeah, he's kind of off off the screen. What about Bezos? Bezos has, uh, I would say, almost no recognition in Japan. I mean, among business people, maybe, uh, but there is really a lot of traction there. I, I, I can give you some that are, are, are more popular and more interesting in Japan. I'm going to ask you that. Just I want your take on, on Steve Jobs. What do you think the, God, the sentiment on him? Yeah. The Buddha. Uh, you know, I teach some really young people now, 18 to 20 years old. And so when I talk about Steve Jobs, they kind of remember him as the iPhone guy or know of him as the iPhone guy. And I show that wonderful speech sometimes that he did at Stanford in one of right. 2003. I said, you got to remember yeah. that the biggest internet technology then was, was the iPod. And like, what was that? Okay. And, but you know, he's, he's got such a perfect classic Joseph Campbell hero story. He's still something here. Okay, some of the the uh, some of the leaders that you you think are 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 quite well revered in Japan. A really int- one that I think tends to be uh, I just forgot his name is is uh, Virgin um, Richard Branson. Branson Branson has mojo in Japan because he's done. He's cool. He's just this long haired dude, and he's done. He's done some consumer events here that were pretty cool. Uh, and so even though he's quite old and almost off the, the radar screen, he's considered pretty cool. Um, there was, I would say, oh, one of the really interesting, uh, you know, I mean, Toyota is fairly run-of-the-mill. Akio Toyota, as, as far as the people in business, I think that they know and respect him. Any women doing things really well? We always need to add them and, and get them more involved in the conversations here. There are some women that are doing some really cool things. I, I let me let me um, just want, let me check her name here. Um, and it, she's doing this social media thing, and it rocked. I was a fan of hers before. I, I, I do presentations for her every now and then for her her group. The group is called Holland Village, okay, and it's basically a social group for. Primarily, I, I guess you would say young professional women who were interested in finance and financial. And the way it started was she was posting up the little brief advice posts on Instagram. And that built out, right? And then from there, um, she started uh, – she created a website with, with all these self-help videos, uh, how to eat or how to cook or yoga. And so – you know, I, I did one on problem solving for kind of a mini MBA. There's all sorts of people uh, showing how to learn a l- language. Um, but she's done really well with this. And it's basically a social network. And people, hmm. it's, it's a club. People pay about 10,000 yen a month to be members. And 
because it's so popular now, she has to do a lottery for people to, to come to a dinner, right? At the American Club or wherever it is. And I think she's going to start a restaurant. Um, what is her name? She's so incredibly smart. Uh, Murakami uh, Makiko. Murakami Makiko. I think she is really one of the most innovative entrepreneurs that I know of because this thing just started as a little advice column on Instagram and now it's blown up into more than 10,000 members. Um, huge amount of excitement and engagement in this club, in this uh, social club. Amazing. Okay. Well, thanks for grabbing a couple of names for us. I appreciate that. And I'm going to ask you for a couple more because this is what we always do. I mean, we get great guests and great guests hang out with other great people who would make great guests. And if you say their name on the show, then we get to throw you under the bus by going and saying, hey, Gil, threw your name out as a great guest. Now you pretty much have to reply to me on LinkedIn or email or whatever to come on the show. And, you know, by the way, go listen to his podcast um, and share it with your friends. So do you have a couple of people that you think, you know, and I, I mean, maybe not like right in line with your industry, right? Because you've covered off some topics in your geography and knowledge area, right? But some other people, some people you know that, you know, again, and you know who our audience is and who we're trying to drop knowledge to. So any couple of people that you might recommend that, you know, people should pay attention to? Well, well, first, it's, it's like uh, when I connected with uh, your man, Eddie, I, I told him, I said, just go through the, my, my LinkedIn there and, and contact anybody you want. Uh, there's a lot of folks in there, uh, several thousand. Um, but uh, one that I, I was just talking to this morning was John Flanagan. He's the head of, uh, of the History Channel and A&E Japan. Oh, cool. And he's done some really cool things with that. Oh, I like that. That would be unique. That would be different. That would be fun. Johnny's cool. Johnny's very cool. And he's very popular. He's very well known. Uh, people love him. He, he speaks Japanese like a native. Um, and, uh, he just knows a lot about, I think the visual media, especially. And, uh, very cool cat. Very nice. Oh, we will definitely try to get in touch with. Him. Yeah, sure. Talk to him. Uh, and and yeah. and uh, the other one uh, that that I really like talking to is David Hackett. Hackett um, has again like speaks Japanese like a native speaker, but he worked for many years at Mizuno in the eighties on uh, events marketing and uh, sports sports events, and then he moved to Hakohodo for many years. Um, so he's worked practically every major sporting event, well, many times over. Yeah. And, uh, now he's moved into, uh, investing in, uh, some new sports digital companies. And so it's a very cool space that he's in right now, but the man knows everything about sports sponsorship and marketing in Japan perfectly. Now, can you, I think you, you said what I know, 
in in English, and I'm probably saying it wrong. Was it Mizuno? Mizuno. Yeah, Mizuno. That's how you actually. That's like the technical proper pronunciation, isn't it? Right, because but it, it's been called Mizuno so much in in English that they actually. In in some of the ads, I haven't seen their ads on TV much anymore. But they dropped the U and start calling it Mizno, which sounds even worse. But that's kind of like Mazda, right? Uh huh. Mazda is actually oh. Matsuda, right? Really, Matsuda. Oh my god! And that su, they Matsuda. felt was too. Yeah, I mean, the first time I did media training for for Matsuda, I was like. Matsuda, what kind of company is that? And they said, well, it's one of the largest car manufacturers in the country, in the world. I've never heard of it. And then I realized they were talking about Mazda. Uh, yeah. So Mazda put a Z there to, to, to get rid of the soot. And, uh, Mizno is now Mizno, which sounds terrible. It's Mizno, Waterfield. Oh, okay. Waterfield. Man. But I, I think it's a beautiful name. I think Mizuno is a, is a very nice name. Just have to work on, on not making that you such a long, strong, sound that's all well if i'm ever on like who wants to be a millionaire and that's the you know the million dollar question okay. i'm gonna blow people's minds by knowing that yeah appreciate you listen how can people potentially reach out get to touch with you or find you you can find me on linkedin that's the easiest way to find me uh i'm, I'm working on my website that'll go with my book that i'm i'm i'm, I'm I'm, I'm going to finish. Well, it is finished. It just needs to be formatted and everything else. The book is on critical analysis for business. Um, so those will be coming up soon. But just find me on LinkedIn. I'm the guy with, I don't know, 3,000 friends. Followers. Friends, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. And you know what? Let us know when the book comes out. We'll have to maybe revisit having you to come back on and talk a little bit about that. I think that would be fun. Oh, um, oh, yes. Especially if you're covering that area of the world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thank you for uh, your interest, Todd, in, in what I'm doing here. And I really appreciate it. And and I look forward to seeing you again or meeting you in person sometime. Yeah. Okay. Gil, it is our pleasure. It is, it is our honor. Um, we're going to drop two parts of this this episode. Um, it's guests like you and the knowledge and expertise that you have that makes this podcast go round. So don't thank me. I thank you. And the audience thanks you. And Eddie thanks you. And everybody at WPIC thanks you. Thank yeah. you very, very much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. For all of you listening to us on the audio only version, don't forget that we have the YouTube channel so you can go over and check it out on that. And if you are watching the video, but you need your hands and your eyes for other things, don't forget we have the audio only version over on all the podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the rest. So for now, from me and for Gil and from Eddie and, and WPIC, thanks everybody for joining and tuning in today. And we will see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at wpic.co and be sure to rate 
comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.